You're listening to Nostalgia Club, the podcast where we look back on our favorite childhood stories and revisit them as adults. At least one of us hasn't read or watched these series, so we also get a first-timer's opinion. Spoiler alert, we will be discussing storylines and future events beyond the first books and episodes. So, proceed with caution. Hi, everyone. <laughs> it's too late. That's the start of the episode. You have to keep reading your intro. And my voice. Okay, this is the bad thing about when I laugh too hard is it like kills my voice afterwards. So I just sound like, hey, hello. <laughs> Oh, no. <clears throat> okay, okay. <laughs> it's too late, I'm afraid. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Today, I am here as Victoria, but who has laughed a lot too much for this episode already. And I'm joined by... Michael. And... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just, I wasn't expecting it, so okay. hello. Hi, I'm Gino. <laughs> Why? Why was that funny? I think it's just because we've been laughing for too long. Everything we've been laughing for now. 16 minutes before starting this episode. So Yeah, we were doing some um, reminiscing, being uh, talking about... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about what it was like to be a child in school and how mm. strange that experience was. And wouldn't you know it, today we're reading what well, we've read. Today we're talking about a book called Sideways Stories from Wayside School, which is about a very strange school and all the strange things and all the strange children. And teachers. And teachers that and attend or occur. Yeah. Excellent segue, Gino. I really liked Wayside. Oh, yeah. So Michael has never read it. Gino and I read it as kids, and we kind of like vaguely remember certain things from it. I think Gino might remember a little bit more about it than I do. I remember literally one specific story, and that's it. Which one was it? I only remember the one about the kid getting stuck to the chair, and then they turn the chair upside down, and then like the girl like kisses him on the nose, and he falls out of the chair. It's not even like the fun story about the guy who turns out to be a dead rat. <laughs> like, I would have thought that would have been more impactful to me as a kid. But I think I remember like being scared that I was going to get stuck to my chair and then, like have to get flipped upside down. Anyways, weird, weird childhood fears that this book brought about. Sideways Stories from Wayside School is a short story anthology series. Wikipedia describes it as a children's short story cycle novel. So it's just a bunch of short stories, each focused on a different person or a different student or a different teacher, about this crazy school. And what's crazy about it? What's the one big thing that's crazy about it? The one big thing that's crazy about it is that no learning happens. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the concept is that it is a school that was built incorrectly. It was supposed to be 30 classrooms, all on one floor, all next to each other, side by side. But instead, for some reason, the architect accidentally built the school... Vertically. So it's 30 classrooms stacked on top of each other, 30 floors up, and I guess everyone just shrugged and went with it. And they're like, well, we built it already, so... Well... I don't know. I feel like someone would have been like, that building is looking a bit more vertical than I expected, and not very uh, horizontal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but then again, anyways. someone probably would have objected to a teacher who can turn her students into apples. But... That's true. Also, at this school, another one of the weird architectural things is it's missing floor 19. Chapter, right? Or, no, 
Sorry, I thought it was a I thought it was a, a double entendre. I thought it was a pun cuz oh. when you hit chapter 19 it says there is no 19th floor. Yeah. There is no 19th chapter. It's definitely very like on the nose like ha it's the 19th chapter and there's no 19th floor so we're also going to omit that chapter. It's weird because I feel like I must have been exposed to this at some point, maybe in class or whatever because I hit that chapter in particular and I was like like this is a memory i remember this <laughs> and i remember when I, however old i was second grade or something when that happened it was like the most mind-blowing form like, of comedy Whoa. to me the most like <laughs> meta fourth wall breaking i was like this is incredible how does anyone think of something like this <laughs> that's great i love how we each remember different things and then Michael's just like, yes, the chapter that had nothing in it. I remembered that one. <laughs> <laughs> you guys talking about this just now, it never occurred to me that the 30 chapters, the 30 short stories equated to the 30 literal stories in this building. Oh. Oh, wait. Actually, I didn't think about that either. <laughs> that That's makes sense. That's what it was. Because what... it is Sideways Stories from Wayside School. Wow. <laughs> Title drop. <laughs> I think, yes. Roll credits. I like the idea. I don't know how much realistic weight it bears to the actual author's profession, but there's a, he's like a gym teacher, but they give him a different name in this book for his occupation. It's like the outside. Uh, Isn't he like a groundskeeper or something? The yard teacher. The he is yard, a yard teacher. Yard I think teacher. he's basically like a PE teacher. That's yeah. the vibe. He like provides like equipment for recess. And I assume maybe he kind of has a PE class. I've had teachers growing up who served a similar function. They were in charge of passing out equipment. Mm. They were in charge of like designating what activities were going to be performed during recess or PE or whatever. Also, this book was written in the 70s. That's so true. It's, it's possible that we were just not aware of certain American school teaching positions that may no longer exist due to budget cuts. Because it's always budget cuts. Yeah. Specifically in the book, in chapter 30, it says, Lewis was the yard teacher at Wayside School. It was his job to see that the children did not have too much fun during lunch and recess. The funny thing about Lewis is the author of the book is also named Lewis. So it's kind of like his own, I guess, self-insert into yeah. this book. I think you're 100% correct. Yeah. And I think at one point he was also like a teacher, for school, but he says that none of the Wayside stories are based off his actual teaching experiences. I guess it would make sense. Yeah. Though I do enjoy the way he writes kids. The way they talk, the way they think, the strange forms of logic they use that are very, like, direct, but also... It's, it's very, like, point A to point B, but their point A's and their point B's are often just very, uh, very different, as you would expect. Um, I think of the, the chapter where you have the girl who can draw... Uh, everything in like two seconds flat like mm -hmm. whatever it is and just churns out pages and pages of artwork and she has an assistant I forget his name but he's another student and his whole thing is like giving I can't her draw. paper right yeah basically just feeding her paper and utensils and what he gets out of it is like well if I do this she cranks out art like no one's business I can get some art out of the deal um <laughs> and you know, the whole lesson from, I believe, oh, it's either Lewis, the yard teacher, or their their new teacher, Mrs. Jules. I think it's Mrs. Jules in that one, yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah, she basically delivers the, the moral. Not all these stories have a moral, but uh, this one had a little moral of, basically, it's not quantity, it's quality. You know, you could spend years turning out one very exquisite picture of a cat, and it'll mean more than every hastily drawn cat in the world, which 
personally, I think there's an even balance because part of me liked the the ethos of the kid who helped his classmate. The whole idea of, I can't draw too well, but I really enjoy helping this other person because we get more art out of the deal than if I was just doing it on my own and she mm-hmm. was doing it on her own. But there's still a valuable uh, lesson to be learned in that it's not just about churning stuff out as much as you can. It's about refinement and thinking about what you're doing with intention. I just went on the Wikipedia page for the book. I don't know if if either of you checked it out, um, but I was surprised to find what appears to be a quote of some sort from Louis uh, Sacker, Sakar? I think it's Sacker. Louis Sacker, who you're absolutely right, basically was a yard teacher, literally Louis the yard teacher. Oh, so he really was a yard teacher. He really was a yard teacher. Nice. Um, there's, there's a quote here I just want to read straight from the Wikipedia page, so you listeners at home don't have to Google it yourself. <laughs> uh, I thought it over and decided it was a pretty good deal. College credits, no homework, no term papers, no tests. All I had to do was help out in a second-slash-third-grade class at Hillside Elementary School in Berkeley, California. Besides helping out in a classroom, I also became the noontime supervisor, or Lewis the Yard Teacher, as I was known to the kids. It became my favorite college class and a life-changing experience. I, I gotta say, maybe this is just a, me inventing my own self-fulfilling prophecy, but reading these stories and Lewis the Yard Teacher within the book, his interactions with the kids, that kind of wry twists of sarcasm and wit it felt real to me part of me like wanted to believe like that the lewis sacker who wrote the book wasn't just an author but was literally a yard Mm -hmm. teacher because Mm. it just it just felt i don't know it just felt rather authentic even though the stories were wild just the interactions between uh the adults and the kids in this just had something about it some little crystal of 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 realism to it in its weirdness i want to ask the both of you though did you have a favorite story in this book yeah definitely Gino's got a immediately got a, a nice healthy smile on his face the information that lewis the author was actually a yard teacher in real life before writing this book i think gives this story a little bit more flavor a little bit more uh oomph It's uh, chapter 26, Terrence. Terrence, who is a good athlete, but a bad sport. And so whenever he gets the ball in any game, he kicks it over the fence. And eventually he's kicked over the fence every single ball that the school has. And so all the kids are just standing there. They have nothing to play with. And they're complaining to Lewis. So Lewis kicks Terrence over the fence. (laughs) And that's it. That's the end of the chapter. There's no lesson to be learned. Just punishment. And I think... (laughs) And and as a kid, I love that. I love the image of someone just kicking someone else over a fence. But now, knowing that Lewis was a yard teacher, this is probably something he may have wanted to do at some point. And this is like catharsis. That's true, yeah. He's like, yes, Sometimes finally. he's like, I can't actually kick this kid over the fence, but I can write a story about kicking the kid over the fence. I feel like that's very common for like writers or authors. Just like, I can't do anything to you in real life, but I'll eviscerate you in mm-hmm. fiction. <laughs> like a lot of these stories have have either some kind of like very strange or otherworldly or like surreal or like a metaphorical twist to them. Terrence is just, this kid is annoying. <laughs> Let's get rid of him. And it, that's it. And that's all it is. <laughs> and there's no like puns. There's no commentary. It's just kick the kid over the fence. And he's gone. And he's gone. And he's gone. There's a lot of, I noticed, uh, I read the first story and then I cheated again and I found someone reading the whole book mm-hmm. online and then listened to it. But honestly, it still felt great because mm-hmm. it was like, 
an action. If, I think it might have been an, another teacher uh, just reading the book. I did the same thing for Gregor, and it was like an actual teacher just reading the book. And it, and I think she was like reading it to her class and would address the viewing audience, at least in the beginning, as her class. And I'm like, hi, Mrs. So-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is weird. But uh, listening to it, I noticed a fair amount of repetition in the in this book. There's a lot of repeated phrases, a lot of repeated sentences, which for whatever reason, it lands somewhere in my brain along the lines of uh, educational materials for kids, but is twisted into the fact that the repetition we're getting is just like storytelling repetition. Mm -hmm. And even the end of that story in particular with Terrence, there's a lot of like, I mean, there's the repeated events of Terrence going, give me a ball, give me a ball. And kids are like, all right, fine. And then he kicks it over the fence. But at the <laughs> end, we go for, it feels like a full page where they're just setting up this joke. And you can tell it's very carefully crafted. So a young kid listening to this book will understand what's probably about to happen if they're paying attention. But there's this whole like... <laughs> I forget exactly how it's phrased, but there's a lot of Lewis, the art teacher, turning to all the kids who've had their balls taken by Terrence and kicked over the wall going, what do you think, kids? Should I let Terrence have it? And all the kids are going, I think you should let Terrence have it. And Terrence is like, give it to me, whatever it is. I don't know, Terrence. Do you, do you think I should let you have it? Let me have it. And then that's when he punts him over the fence. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of stuff like that. Set up, set up, set up, punchline. Yeah, like <laughs> literally that. A literal punchline, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have like one in particular that's my favorite, but there was one, which is the one right before Terrence's chapter, chapter 25 with Jenny. This one was very intriguing. Hmm. It's the one where she goes to school and no one is there. Oh. And she, like, sits in the class, and then these, like, random people walk in, and they're like, why are you here? They, like, have, like, secretive conversations with each other. Does she know? And she claims she knows nothing. And then they send her home, and then they say, don't come to school on a Saturday. And I just have so many questions. What <laughs> happens at the school on the weekend? <laughs> it feels in one way like the phenomenon where... A lot of kids see a teacher outside of school and it just blows their mind because I can't yeah. imagine a teacher outside of school. The same way kids can't really imagine what happens at a school on a weekend. Mm -hmm. The literal interpretation is that this place is actually very strange and there actually are government officials who use this building on weekends to like conduct secret operations. I think adds They're a like lot alien of... alien hunters or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> this series of stories, this series of books, because there's multiple books feels like baby's first introduction to creepypasta a little bit <laughs> like i get scp vibes from these stories just a tiny bit just a hint oh wow just, yeah. just a tiny hint and it gives me so much joy wow that's a really good pull i hadn't thought of that yeah because there's a lot of i mean i haven't read a lot of scps or whatever but there's there's always like a they just kind of throw you into it a mm -hmm. lot of the time and they'll give you some explanations but mostly it's just like hey here's a set of circumstances it's weird, um, hang on, as this story just kind of occurs. And that's very much wayside. There's a lot of things uh, reading this that just sort of like, like it does explain to you, okay, it's a school that was built vertically instead of horizontally. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that it just kind of drops you into. There's the story where the new kid Sammy comes in and he's bundled up in coats and he just keeps insulting everyone and he's super rude. And Miss Jules is like, you can't have a coat on. 
in uh, my classroom. You have to take your coat off. And so they, he keeps shedding layers and it just keeps being more and more coats until finally he takes off the last one. And as he keeps shedding coats, it smells worse and worse. And when he takes off the last coat, it's just a dead rat. Yeah. And there's just a little postscript at the end of the chapter like, yeah, you know, uh, Miss Jules has been dealing with a lot of dead rats trying to sneak into her class. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's literally like no explanation, just... She deals with a lot of dead rats. This is a normal occurrence. This has <laughs> happened before. That special charm of just, they drop you into the story, and it could be the first time this has happened, or it could be the 10th time something like this has happened. And each time, I don't know, these kids, they just take it in stride. Even when the very, in the very first chapter, when the teacher turns everyone into apples, the kids are just like, I guess we have a teacher who can turn people into apples. <laughs> Like, they don't stop coming to school. I know. They don't report it. To, they're just like, well. They don't go home and tell their parents, um, uh, school was kind of, it was good, but it was kind of weird. Like, <laughs> our new teacher uh, turned Jerry into an apple. And yet, metaphorically, it almost feels right. Like, if you take that one, like, I feel like some of these stories you can take as metaphors. Some of them are very clear, like the kid who's elected class president and his only job is to turn the lights on and off. Mm. Um, and then the one day he fails to turn the lights on and off, he's like actually helping one of his fellow students outside of class with like a pet that got hit by a car and like making sure she's okay and taking care of her. And then he gets fired because he wasn't <laughs> being a good president turning the lights on and off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very clear metaphor. Similarly, that, that story, the first story of the children's original teacher before they get Miss Jules who's like a literal witch yeah and turns the kids into apples it feels almost like like if you take it from a kid's perspective I feel like we've all had a teacher at one point or another that had not literally that effect but metaphorically you they're just like they're just gosh they can be so cruel or have such a a, a, a terrible or terrifying effect when you're a kid that from the a children's eyes it's like watching your classmates get turned into apples because maybe they're super strict and they're like you know whatever discipline approach they have if it's i don't know if you had like the pull a card thing in grade school where there's like a I mean, there's different versions of this at different schools. At mine, it was like a, there was everyone, every student had a little pouch, and there were three cards in it, green, uh, yellow, and red. And the oh, if you had to pull, yeah. if you got like a, a direct warning, it was like a material uh, indication that like if you pull a green card, that's a warning, better not do it again. If you pull a yellow card, I don't know, you like stay in at recess or something. And if you pull a red card, you like go to the principal's office and uh, you get detention. And similarly, the whole idea of, like, maybe someone just getting blasted through the whole uh, discipline cards is similar to being turned into an apple. Like, a teacher that just goes straight to the red card and Mm -hmm. says, detention immediately. And you're like, oh, my God, what are we going to (laughs) do? So that kind of landed for me. There was another story similar to that that I felt was quite clever. And it was one of the earlier ones. And it's the kid who apparently we're told just doesn't know how to count just doesn't know how to count oh yeah um, like Ms. he counts Jules out takes... of order but always lands at the right answer yeah. i like that one a lot too <laughs> it was great and mrs jules is like desperately trying him like oh, i forget how she phrases the math problems it's been a while since i exactly she's like how many how many pencils are there on the table and the yes. kid goes like seven two four eight bar four two four ten there's ten and she's like no and he's like there's not ten pencils and she says well, there are 10 pencils. 
but the way you got there was wrong. I really like that story because at one point, Mrs. Jules hits her head against the wall like eight times. Oh, and yeah. says, How many times did it hit my head against the wall? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm realizing that. <laughs> it's just a good joke. It's, it's just a good joke. Great joke. A wonderful joke for, for, for parents to get as well. It takes a lot of skill to like write a book that's entertaining for kids and adults Mm -hmm. and that's like definitely an example in one of those chapters where it's like the kids can find it hilarious and so can the parents especially a teacher because you can imagine the whole all right how many times did i hit my head against the wall (laughs) i think you can really tell obviously that like the author has worked with kids has taught in schools um because yeah that interaction between the teacher and students is very natural but also very weird I liked that one in the sense of, like, it's it's just interesting. There's a lot of buzz, I feel like, about how you teach things. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that constant question of results versus process. And there's something important to be said about everyone being unified in the process they go about doing things so that we're all on the same page. But at the same time, there's also something to be said about perhaps the the sort of shallow bureaucracy involved in sort of trying to create a mandated way to do something as both complex and fundamental as math. And it's sort of like, this is an extreme example. Obviously, if a kid, for whatever reason, is being asked to count to 10 and he throws around a dozen different numbers and then arrives at 10, something's up. Uh, You can't just (laughs) let that slide. But metaphorically speaking, if a kid maybe has a slightly different way of doing a math problem and he gets it right every time, or they get it right every time, it's universal. And uh, trying to do it uh, a way that has been predetermined by some, I don't know, committee trying to create the best universal approach for kids and it's harder for the kid to understand in that way, maybe there should be some flexibility involved. Yeah, I definitely took that story as like, why does it matter so much if he counts differently if he's still getting the right answer? Like, he still knows there's five pencils. He's not going to be like, oh, suddenly there's eight. Definitely makes you think. Have you ever experienced that in school where you're going through like the the grades and suddenly it's very clear that there has been some kind of administrative or educational change to the way things are taught and the way you are taught something suddenly changes very rapidly and you like watch it happen as you're going through school hmm i can't think of one immediately victoria i can't think of one off the top of my head either my year seemed to be the guinea pig class uh-huh. we would always get new 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 curriculums, new curriculums, curriculums. Yeah, mm-hmm. we would get new curri- cur- curri- cur- 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 <laughs> <laughs> crickets, new crickets, new crickets. We'd get new material. We'd get different ways of teaching experimented on us, new information experimented on us, and it was very clear to us while it was happening what was happening. Mm. We were being tested on whether this new way of teaching would work on us, <laughs> and in hindsight, it was really. Rude. Because <laughs> I did not learn what I needed to learn in those classes necessarily. Uh, I remember my world history class. Specific, I know it's not really math, but world history class specifically. You go into a world history class, you expect to learn the history of the world. Mm-hmm. And instead, we got a brand new experimental not finished uh, oh. class about how the universe formed. Whoa. Whoa. And it went through a lot of stuff. They really took world history what? literally. <laughs> like, we we're going to start from the like the <laughs> birth of the universe. <laughs> it was some experimental program signed off by Bill Gates and some famous oh. um, scientist person. 
And we went from how the universe worked and how planets formed. And I was like, this is not world history. Wow. And then instead of talking about like different ancient civilizations and like, like the world wars and like the industrial age and whatnot, we instead talked about how how and why the Europeans conquered the world. And it was a weird, it was a weird class. Huh. It was a weird class. I didn't learn what I was supposed to learn. <laughs> uh, but thanks Wikipedia for existing. Because now I can look that stuff up. Who needs school? Who needs school? <laughs> I have the internet where everything's always true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we had... Oh, I'm trying to... I think something in middle school happened where they were changing, like, a certain way that they, like, formatted the whole general, like, evaluation process. But I can't remember specifically, like, or, like, specific procedures that they implemented that I directly noticed. Honestly, like, at the schools I went to, each year, like, different teachers taught different ways anyway. Mm -hmm. So I, it was more about adapting to the new teacher and how they taught rather than, oh, like, the school is asking them to teach a certain way. Interesting. Yeah. I know, gosh, from K through 8, I was at a, a Catholic school. So definitely not necessarily at the mercy of... Whatever governs uh, public schooling at the elementary and middle school levels, at least not entirely. For me, if it happened, I probably just took it in stride as like, well, this is just how it goes. This is just, this is school. All I remember in terms of being thrown for a loop when it came to material, and maybe something will come to me later, but it must have been like, I don't know if it was third grade, second, third grade, having learned, you know, the fundamentals, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And I kid you not, I'm at home one evening. I'm reading a Calvin and Hobbes comic. Love Calvin and Hobbes. And there's a joke in the comic about Calvin having to learn something called long division. And I, as a kid reading this, go, oh, wow, that Bill Waterson, what a funny guy creating <laughs> something as horrible sounding as long division. Yeah, like it, it division sounds, already is bad, and yeah, now there's long, long division. division. <laughs> it even sounds like a sick joke. Yeah. And I laugh to myself, and I go, thank goodness that isn't real. The next day. Oh, no. The next day I'm in class, I math begins, and the teacher goes, all right, open up your, uh, your books to chapter four or whatever. We're going to talk about long division. And I swear, the feeling you get when you realize something horrible is about to happen. <laughs> like, I, there's only a few times I think we experience something like that. It's like when you realize that, like, like all the other stresses you had in your life have now gone down in, like, threat level to, like, code baby blue. <laughs> and now there's, like, an immediate, like, oh, this is going to ruin, like, the foreseeable future for me. <laughs> Long division. Long division. And I, I just remember turning to a friend and going like, wait, this is real? And Aww. he looked at me like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so that's that's probably the craziest things got for me in terms of curriculum. Calvin was trying to warn you, and you didn't believe him. I didn't believe Bill Waterson, you're too good at your, <laughs> at your comics. Ugh. I feel like that's kind of the feeling that this series captures is like those weird things that you encounter in school and then in this book they're actually real yeah, yeah. or like because everyone like Gino said like everyone thinks that like teachers don't have a life outside of school and they just live at the school and they like <laughs> I think it's also kind of similar to what Arthur does where the kids have such a wild active imagination about what they think 
their teachers do, like Mr. Rapper and locks kids in like the dungeon or whatever. Kids have such like a wild, active, amazing imagination. And this definitely captures it really well. If we may, I do want to talk a little bit about Lewis Sacker. The way he wrote this book, I think is very interesting. After he worked as a yard teacher, he actually became a worker at a sweater warehouse. He wrote this book over nine months, just all nights, while he was working at the sweater warehouse. He was fired from the sweater warehouse, and so he applied to law school at the almost the exact same time as this book was published, and then it took 10 years before the book sold well enough and the rest of his books began to sell well enough to where he could actually become a full-time writer. Which is strange to think about now because these books were so pervasive in my childhood. They were everywhere. And he's written some of my favorite books as a kid. Like Holes is a book he wrote. Holes is a Lewis Sacker book? And it's probably one of my favorite books and also movie adaptations of all time. It's a really solid, like he's a really solid writer. Yeah. It took him 10 years of not, not even just trying to publish, publishing, constantly publishing books, 10 years before we could become a full-time writer. I mean, that is what they say when it comes to writing stuff. It's like, yeah, you start and then it takes you a couple decades for it to uh, reach a point where it's feasible, assuming it gets to that. But wow. Yeah. And now he's like the super prolific young adult children's author. Yeah. Like one of the, one of the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got to do an episode about holes now because I, I could talk about holes for Oh my gosh. I'm fairly, I read Holes once and I've seen the movie once, but I don't remember enough about either to. Wait, is that another thing, Victoria? That's another thing that you and I have. Yeah, oh yeah. Gino doesn't. Yes. (laughs) We're good. Another cycle we can account for. Yeah, we can do it. There's just some really, really great short storytelling here. Chapter 24, Damon. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Damien? Damien. The whole chapter is just this poor kid running up and down 30 flights of stairs the entire time. Uh, relatable. <laughs> <laughs> relatable content. Well, because she, Miss Jules, tells him to deliver a note to a Mrs., uh, another teacher on the that's, 19th story. That's actually a different one. That's like, oh. that's another one that kind of gives me uh, SCP creepypasta vibes. Okay. Is this kid is given a note. and Or no, he isn't even given a note. He's just told to deliver a note to Mrs. Arves on the set, on the 19th floor. And then he realizes, I don't have a note. Yeah. He and there is no 19th he floor. He doesn't have a note. He's not given a message. All of his protests go unanswered or ignored. Mrs. Jules just is saying, yeah, just go deliver the note. He's easy. Just go down to the 19th floor. You deliver the note. He goes down to the 18th floor. And then he goes up to the 20th floor. He can't find the 19th floor. He looks at all the classrooms. He just walks all the way down to the yard teacher and says, what do I do? And the yard teacher's like, you've done it. You've delivered the note. And the kid still doesn't understand. He goes back to his classroom and Mrs. Jewell says, thank you for delivering the note. It was a note saying, please do not meet me for lunch. And the kid goes, well, I don't think she's going to meet you for lunch. I guess I guess I did it. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm sorry. You were talking about the one where they're watching a movie in class. I guess my favorite stories are just one long setup for a single short punchline (laughs) delivered by Lewis where... They're watching a documentary about turtles, I guess. And so this poor kid runs up and down these flights of stairs delivering information to Lewis one fact at a time about the movie to try to convince him to see the movie. And at the end, he says, oh, I don't like turtles. They're too slow. 
And this poor kid trudges up these 30 <laughs> flights of stairs, gets to the top, the movie's over. He's missed the whole thing. And then he has to write a paper about the movie, which he didn't watch. So he just writes, they're too slow on the paper. <laughs> set up, set up, set up, punchline. Yeah. Bang. Perfect. Great. great storytelling. This poor kid. I get tired just thinking about running up and down all those stairs. These kids' calves must be ripped. That's true. They have to walk up 30 flights of stairs every day. No wonder they love kickball so much. <laughs> I feel like they have to get to school like 30 minutes earlier than class starts. They must. To just walk up the stairs. There There's a, a story about that. Is there a story about There's that? There's a story about how the fact that they're on the 30th floor means that by the time they get down for recess, a significant amount of time oh, has passed and they can't over. get... Well, no, they can't oh, no, get they the can't equipment get they the, want. Like, they, nice they, the ball. There's the girl who wants like one of the one of the green or the red balls. And they're always all gone. And it's always like what, like the deflated one that's the left over. <laughs> the like one ball that kind of like goes in a different direction when you kick yeah. it. The kids on the 30th floor definitely get the shortest end of the stick. That's like another little kidism that I love, where it's like the weird sort of mythologies you create for. Uh, very mundane things just within your little bubble where all there's like this there's this understanding that like you want a green ball because the green balls bounce real well mm-hmm. if you can't get a green ball you get a red ball which they don't bounce as well but sometimes you don't want the ball to bounce quite as well and yeah. i'm here at 28 going i'm not sure there's any difference between the green <laughs> and the red balls but i'm pretty sure the kids think there is yeah that's true that was definitely something like when we're playing capture the flag they're flags, right? <laughs> or in our case, they were like these foam rings. Those were our quote-unquote flags. There's no difference between which flag there is. One of them is, sure, looks like it went through a trash dispenser. Uh, and it looks a little moldy and cracked. And the, the color's not great. But functionally, they're exactly the same. But you don't want that flag. That's the bad flag. Yeah, that you means your that team one. is going to lose. Yeah, I love the ending to that one, too, because it plays back to the dead rat mythology. The way she gets the ball, she disguises herself as a dead rat. And I believe she gets thrown out the window. Oh, yeah. And, and then Lewis catches her. Right. And that's how she gets the ball. She gets She's thrown really out a window. smart, I will say. She's like, how can I get out of class early? Okay, what does my teacher hate the most? And we'll get that thing out of the classroom as fast as possible. Oh, a dead rat. Perfect. I'll just pretend to be a dead rat. Even the dead rat thing feels true to my schooling experience. My schooling experience I in high school. Did you have a lot of deceased vermin? So, oh. I don't know if oh. my, Uh-oh. my high school, when I went, now... This is no longer the case. Okay. Legally, I have to say they have bulldozed that building oh, okay. and replaced it with an actual functioning high school, which they promised me when I entered the school in kindergarten, but whatever. Um, <laughs> my high school was, we're pretty sure, two suburban houses and then what we believe must have been some sort of chemical storage facility. Whoa. Because there were there are these like chemical... Um, eye cleansing machines just like everywhere but that no one ever uses and they're kind of just in random spots and there are also like certain rooms in the building that were just locked and we just can't go in there and when you look into the window into the room it's just like a wooden chair and then like a single dangling flickering light bulb that's not sketchy at all the vibes were great but we had (laughs) we had a bat problem we had a squirrel problem we had ant problems there were cockroaches everywhere and so every day there was just like another critter in the school that we had to get rid of. And it became like a thing. Like we had a big net for the wasps that would come in. And we had like a designated wasp boy. Who would... <laughs> oh my gosh. 
<laughs> it would be like it wasn't like a, a position, but like wasp boy. It was like it was like Riley or Jeffrey. They were there with the net, like one or the other. You could always depend on them to get that wasp because no one else wanted to get that wasp. <laughs> that singular wasp. Um, wasp, you can't hurt me. <laughs> so the dead rat thing, like obviously these animals weren't dead, but they were always getting in, and it was always a big problem. And we had to stop everything we're doing and try to get rid of the animal. So it was. Yeah, you really didn't learn anything at the school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Gino with everything. I mean, we've learned a couple things about your schooling experience, like specifically within past episodes of Nostalgia Club. But like, are you sure that you you, you didn't live in a Lewis Zacher novel? <laughs> yeah, because are you telling smokes. us that your school was the wayside school? Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely not built for its intended purpose. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say because I don't want to get sued by my school. Because they, f- they seem like the kind of people that would do that. Interesting. Well, Another we'll just bit. frame it as like a, a fun, quirky thing that perhaps if any of uh, the people who are so invested in that school, which apparently has been bulldozed, um, are so interested in coming after us, I will say one, please don't. Uh, and two, <laughs> maybe there's a, there's you can monetize that somehow. <laughs> Wacky stories from <laughs> chemical plant school. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes in these stories... I'm like, what do the parents think? What happens when their child doesn't come home from school because they got turned into an apple? You know, I don't know. (laughs) A lot of questions I have as an adult. As a kid, I just accepted it. I was like, guess they're not going home tonight. It poses the question whether this is a world where these kinds of things happen. Or if it's just this school and just these people specifically. I think Lewis, the yard teacher, kind of implies that he's worked in... Like, he tells kids stories about our universe, basically, where schools are not built um, vertically and kids don't turn into apples. And the kids are like, that's crazy. That's so weird. <laughs> they, they boo him, which yeah. I think is wonderful. They boo him when he comes in and they boo him when he leaves. <laughs> no one likes him. They're like, what a boring story. <laughs> I think that's really funny. I wouldn't put it past Lewis Sacker to come up with something so excellent and real feeling as that. But part of me does wonder if that was something that happened when he was the yard teacher. Because I imagine it's one of those things where it's just an inside joke with the kids, where they don't actually boo him because they don't like him. It's clear in the book, and I would imagine in real life, the kids liked Lewis the yard teacher. But it does feel very authentic that a whole class, for whatever reason, an inside joke would just, oh, it's the yard teacher. Boo. Yeah. It's that level of authority where you're not in charge of their discipline, but you're still above them. But you're also like you're out there with them yeah. in the yard. You're you're stuck with them and you're playing games with them and you're handing out equipment and you're just like being a general friendly person. That's the level of authority you boo. Yeah. That's like the kind of guy you boo. Because you know, you know he can take it. <laughs> like our boss. <laughs> when Casey makes a, a, a crazy pun. Although I've taken to liking the puns now. The puns are kind of I actually the problem is I've started making the puns. Ah. speaking of the very last chapter when lewis tells the kids a story i just was reading back and this line definitely really got me when i was reading this is basically the very last page Um, he's telling the kids about this other school where the school is built on one level and the kids (laughs) don't do crazy things he says dead rats don't walk into classrooms wearing raincoats what do they wear? Tuxedos? asked Todd. And girls never try to sell their toes, Lewis added. Well, no wonder, said Leslie. At today's prices? <laughs> and I was like, yes, Leslie, you know the value of your toes. <laughs> like, 
yeah it's little things like that it's like that those are that one's probably specifically for the adults i guess so although i will say that uh that aged a little differently with the advent of the internet (laughs) the modern context for that one's not great yeah (laughs) don't sell your toes kids don't sell (laughs) sell the whole foot It's always like those little lines. They're just fun to read as you're going along. You're like, that was that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that laugh. That <laughs> that's a good that's, one. That's me as I'm reading. <laughs> Michael, do you think you would want to read the other? I think there's two other installments. Uh, Wayside School is falling down. Sideways arithmetic from Wayside School. Ooh, that's the one you should read. More sideways arithmetic. <laughs> I think those arithmetic books are stories hidden in puzzle books. Ooh. Oh, wow. And then Wayside School gets a little stranger, literally about, I think the whole overarching plot for that one is uh, Mrs. Jules has a kid. <gasps> That's the little stranger. And then Wayside School Beneath a Cloud of Doom. That one I haven't read. I think I've read the other ones, but again, long enough ago where I don't remember exactly what goes on. I remember the kid. Oh, this one came out in 2020. <gasps> Whoa. Whoa, what? we gotta read it. Still going. Lewis Sacker still at it. There's a quote here. Someone asked Sacker about whether he thought children have changed over the years. And Sacker just said, I mean, I've been writing since 1976. And my first uh, book is still in print and doing very well. Kids are kids. I'm kind of curious to read the 2021 to see if any lingo has been updated or if it's just the same old wayside school. Like if it went the way of Arthur? And was it's so they had it, smartphones they, and Zoom calls <laughs> and apps. Yeah. Do, you, do you want a small spoiler from the Wikipedia description? Ooh. Sure. In an interview with the Washington Post, Lewis Sacker explains that the story was inspired by various factors in the modern world that would have been causing him stress: global warming, Alzheimer's disease, the election of Donald Trump. Whoa! Whoa! So okay, we really gotta read it. We <laughs> modernized a modernized wayside school wow. in 2020. I mean, I feel like you have to yeah. modernize that at least a little bit. To a certain degree. I mean, When I it comes still... to kids' books, it's either modern or it's fantasy medieval realm well, way true, in the past. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read this book now for sure. We got to do it. I mean, it's already a fact. We are reading more of Warrior Cats in the yeah. future, so we can read more Wayside. Oh, definitely. As we close out the episode, Sideways Stories from Wayside School was picked up for a Nickelodeon TV series for two seasons. Back in 2003, was it? Yes. It's unremarkable. It, yeah. It, <laughs> I was very excited when I first read that there was um, a cartoon show. I was like, oh, Nickelodeon, that's awesome. And then I watched it and I was, uh, it was okay. Didn't quite have the same charm. It didn't have the same charm. Like, I actually expected it to be weirder. Hmm. And it wasn't as weird as the books. It's clear that they tried to mold the weirdness of the books into like a more serialized format Hmm. so they turn the character of todd who in the books is this person who tries to do good but always gets in trouble no matter what always gets sent home early on the kindergarten bus he also has the best ice cream flavor apparently oh that's right yeah that really was yeah that one another great metaphor though like you can always see you can always enjoy things about other people in unique ways but Mm -hmm. you can never see necessarily what's great about yourself Mm -hmm. but everyone else can yeah and so people are always trying to take bites of todd <laughs> is the, is the as consequence you as you do. But the show turns him into kind of this very boring uh, new kid from a normal school who's trying to learn the ropes. Because, uh, you know, you got to have that new kid aesthetic. 
<laughs> to um, explain things to the audience surrogate. As yeah, it, goes. it was well received. It got two seasons. Yeah, it's probably fine. Would you say a classic was... case of it's not as good as the book? One of those things. Yeah, I would say so. I think as a standalone piece, it was probably very enjoyable and fun for the demographic that it was targeting. But as someone who was hoping it to be like the charm of the books, it was not. It mm. didn't really hold up. Maybe part of it was because Todd does react to the circumstances like we would, where we're like, that's weird. Yeah. Ah, I don't like that. Uh, Whereas in the books, it's just everyone at the school accepts that <laughs> things are weird. You're like, I want to be the one to react like it's weird. Yeah. Don't steal my moment, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. That's part of the charm of the books is that everyone just takes it. Yeah, it's like Miss Jules literally throws a kid pretending to be a dead rat out the window and they shrug their shoulders and continue on with class. You know, <laughs> like, I guess story-wise for a TV show, it doesn't work quite as well because there's not really necessarily an arc to the story. So I understand why they've changed it. But yeah, I, I just like the charm of how the stories, the short stories just throw you in and then basically drop you at the end and then go on to the next. You know what's interesting? hearing you say that and talk about that narrative like framing device. And I think it relates back to maybe the charm of these books as a whole where you can have strange occurrences that objectively would be terrifying. Your cruel teacher turning you into an apple or being stuck to a chair and being lifted upside down uh, and shaken until someone kisses you on the nose to release you. A girl falling asleep and then rolling out of the building. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then she wakes up and she's like, hmm. Yeah, it's like all of those things if they are written in such a way that all the characters take them at face value, especially as a kid, you are in a way taught, I mean, you're obviously laughing at the insanity of the circumstances, but because everyone within the environment in that story is taking it in stride, there's a part of you that maybe feels like you should also take it in stride. Mm. Um, there's, a, there's a safety in that, perhaps, um, a kind of feeling that, well, no one here is freaking out or, you know, freaking out too much in the way that I a kid in this uh, physical material world would. So for a certain degree, maybe that sort of provides a kind of safety net as a child, as a viewer. Uh, you get to experience all these weird happenstances, but you get to roll with the punches as much as the kids in the story do. You get to enjoy the novelty and the strangeness of the environment while also not having to deal with the consequences of necessarily being you in that strange environment. So perhaps once you took a kid in the show and made him like you, it sort of alienated the viewer from accepting those experiences or from allowing the, the narrative to uh, provide that same charm. Yeah, I only watched a small segment of the first episode of the show, but I just kind of felt bad for Todd. I was like, aw, he has to deal with this girl who's, like, sitting uncomfortably close to him because she has a crush on him and he doesn't know what to say. And Miss Jewel, and she, like, cuts the desk in half so that they can sit even closer to each other. <laughs> I was like, hmm, I feel uncomfortable for Todd and also in general. <laughs> <laughs> My impression was they use the same names as the characters, so there's Miss Jules, the teacher, and Todd, and then each character has, like, a direct correlation to their chapter in the book. But, like, they don't mention, like, oh, this is the person who, like, draws all the time or anything like that. It's just, like, that's so-and-so, and they're part of the class. It feels almost like a reverse magic school busing, 
for the Magic School Bus books, all the kids were kind of just like kids and they mm. could be whatever the story needed them to be. And then in the show, they gave all these kids very specific quirks yeah. and specific characterization to better establish the class. It feels like almost the reverse of that, where in the books, all these kids had very specific quirks and characterization and adventures. Mm-hmm. And then for the show, they kind of like generalized them all to yeah. make them more palatable to a wider audience maybe i don't know maybe i will say there are a lot of kids in this i mean it's a full elementary school class and so it's definitely probably easier in some ways in a book form especially directed towards kids to be like here's this kid here's uh here's their whole whole deal here's a sentence about something interesting or strange about them yeah you're allowed to be told a lot more about them whereas in a show maybe it's harder to to pull off yeah, if you're interested, I think you can just find it on YouTube. So I love when things get old enough that they can yeah, just right? exist yeah. for free online <laughs> and no one bats an eye. We'll probably be back after we read the latest Wayside School book because now I'm super curious how it's been modernized to talk about modern day issues. Yeah, this was really fun. I really enjoyed walking down my old memories about elementary school and reading Wayside School and also learning about Gino's crazy school. Oh my gosh, school. we'll cut that out. <laughs> no, we gotta leave it in. It's too good, you know. I also enjoyed walking down 30 flights of steps. Much better than walking up of them. <laughs> I enjoyed just falling out of the building. <laughs> Which happens know. more than should, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> really gotta lock those windows. I know. But yeah, we'll be back next week with another episode, another book to talk about. And until next time, bye. Bye. <laughs> do we do we have like a sign out a sign out phrase that we Until next time, don't roll out of any windows. I don't know. That's good. Actually, yeah, for some of them I tried to tailor it to whatever we were talking about. Say so. whatever say okay. whatever you want. Until next time, try not to get turned into an apple. Until yeah. next time, take a big bite of top. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Nostalgia Club. If you enjoyed the episode, follow us on Twitter at underscore Nostalgia Club and on Instagram at Nostalgia Club Podcast. Leave a comment, give us a rating, and subscribe. You can also send us an email with your suggestions for what we should review next at nostalgiaclubpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, Michael. Uh, Hey, Casey. How's it going? All right. How about you? I'm doing all right. I was wondering if you had ever read uh, Sideways Stories from Wayside School. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. That's excellent. Do you remember anything about them? Uh, oh, there was a teacher in it. Uh, that was... Uh... Excellent. Well, I'm going to tell you everything about it here in <laughs> under one minute. Um <laughs> So, Gino, do you have a timer ready? Yeah, the, the, the creepy teacher. Yeah, I remember that now. Great, great. You got chapter Isn't, one. Is like an alien or something? I don't know. Maybe that's future book lore. Okay, or, so... The, or a monster or something. Yeah, so here's the deal. Here's the deal with that. So, Sideways Stories from Rayside School are about a, a school class on the 30th floor of this school that was built sideways. The builder said he was very sorry. They have a teacher. I forget her name, but she turns all the kids into apples because she's basically a witch. Luckily, they're able to uh, trick her into turning herself to an apple, which Lewis, the yard teacher, who also wrote the book, eats, and they get a new teacher named Miss Jules, who is much nicer, fair, uh, properly strict, a very good teacher all around. Uh, for the rest of the book, we meet each of the kids individually in their own chapters. They go through their own strange experience, everything from being stuck on a chair, uh, 
and flipped upside down to uh, getting a new student who turns out to be a dead rat in a bunch of overcoats. Um, throughout the, uh, this whole experience, we get various strange uh, metaphors for maybe real-life issues um, applicable to kids in school and adults in the real world. And sometimes you just get uh, a bunch of weird stories with no clear, coherent moral or meaning. Uh, it ends when the cruel teacher returns and they're able to trick her again, and that's kind of the end of the story. Um, yeah. <laughs> does, does, does that ring a bell? Any more bells? It- it does. The, the eating of the apples thing, I think I always was disturbed with. Like, they transformed this teacher into the apple, and then it was eaten. I was like, that's the most morbid thing I think I've heard in a children's <laughs> story in a while. But then again, I have read, you know, the doll books, so. Well, uh, you know what they say. Um, I don't know. Talk, get hit. An apple a day keeps the teacher away? I don't know. Or, sorry, talk, get bit. There it is. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got for you. I hope that was edifying. That was very edifying. <laughs> All right. Well, talk to you later. All right. Take care, Michael. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>